the team, they stuck through, they cared about the bottom line. Like they would all send me messages. I wouldn't reply to their messages because I'd be so overwhelmed and they would need me to reply for things to happen. They took initiative to create blog posts and so on. It's the only reason that we survived is because of that team. So that meant that I was able to go through these very difficult personal years. The team handled that very, very well, and I'm so glad they did. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. I'm going to try to tie this one all together at the top here. I think I can do it. So we're going to talk today about mental health, depression, and anxiety, and their effect on us running our businesses. And this is a story that was recently told at our first unofficial live event in London just a few weeks ago. And I wanted to get it on the pod. And it's the kind of story that comes out in person and is why I'm so much looking forward to getting back to live events, to getting back to meeting listeners of this show in person. That's happening in Mexico City in October. I can't wait to get on that airplane. So can I just zoom you back till March 2020? Everybody has their, oh shit, this is real moment. And for me, it was making the decision to cancel our DC Austin event, which was going to be in April of 2020. And at the time we canceled it, I thought we were going to lose a bunch of money. And so it was just kind of excruciatingly difficult decisions. It's like, oh man, we're going to take a huge hit on this, but we have to do it. It's like the right thing to do. And so we sent an email to all the attendees and you know, told them they could get their money back. You know, hopefully, you know, we'll just meet up in a few months after this thing blows over or whatever. And then I met up with a friend that night and, you know, this was like pre-masks in America and stuff like that. And looking up at the TV and the NBA got canceled and Tom Hanks got COVID and <laughs> Tom Hanks got COVID, it's for real. And uh, it just all of a sudden, what felt like a hard decision a few hours ago was like, yeah, there's no other options here. Like this is a an emergency situation. And it was just sort of slowly dawning on me. Basically, what happened is half of my business, which is events for listeners to this show, just disappeared overnight. And along with it, you know, all my plans. I'm not suggesting these are important problems in the scope of the world. And actually, I think that's one of the themes of this episode. As entrepreneurs, we are tasked with being the heroes in our business, the person that people come to when problems happen. And we tend to minimize our problems. And so maybe the message I'm trying to say here is that you matter. Like your problems count, even if, relatively speaking, other people have it worse. That's no excuse to not take your emotions seriously. And the stakes are high for us because it definitely affects our relationships, our experience, our ability to perform, and our entire organizations. Back to my meta story here, or podcast arc story, whatever you want to call it, we're sort of you know sitting on Ian's patio, catio, uh, having some dirty dicks margaritas, thinking, 
all right, well, there goes half our business. This is crazy. We start doing some YouTube videos sort of screwing around and we say, well, I guess we got to do something. And that something ended up being focusing on revenue streams at Dynamite Jobs. And amazingly, we managed to get all the revenue back and more. And you know, another testament to entrepreneurship. How cool was that? That'd be pretty tough to do in a job. Like I'm going to double my salary in 12 months. So we managed to keep everybody employed, which I'm proud of, and keep the ball rolling. My old job was, you know, flying around to events, exploring areas of the world, telling the story along the way. That was my lifestyle, you know? And I suddenly found myself, you know, focusing on a completely different business, all virtual, and with nowhere to go. I wasn't depressed, but I wasn't happy about it. And the good news was, I had a bunch of time on my hands and some really good influences around me, people who took their mental health more seriously than me. And when they told their stories to me of like what they were doing, it demystified it. It made it seem like the kinds of things I've been interested in in this podcast from the very beginning, which is like, you know, improving yourself so you can become a more effective entrepreneur. It's like putting the oxygen on the airplane. When it comes down, putting your own oxygen mask on first prioritizing that. It's not necessarily saying you're more important. It's just saying, hey, I got to have some oxygen if I'm going to go help other people. The other thing is, you know, this is crazy, but I think some people think they're going to lose their edge if they start to psychologize themselves or get involved in a therapeutic process that it's sort of their brokenness that leads to their ability to run a business. And I believe that's a myth too. And finally, I think I just underestimated how much fun it would be. That, you know, maybe I was just in a moment in my life where I had a bunch of spare time, I was ready, I was feeling existential during the pandemic. But I finally got to put some rubber to the road into, you know, what when people say, let's prioritize mental health. Well, what does that mean? It's not, for me, it was always pretty vague. And what that means to me now is that you sit down with yourself every week as a practice and prioritize how you feel about certain things and put that into a narrative that makes sense to you in your life. And that's basically it. And it really helps if you have someone involved in that process that can help you. That's the theme of the app. If you want the quick notes, is like the stuff, you know, in entrepreneurial terms, has an enormous amount of upside for you as an entrepreneur and like no downside. All right, I'm gonna start rambling on about, uh, maybe I tied it together, maybe I didn't. <laughs> Today's guest, who's been sharing his story inside the Dynamite Circle is Benny Lewis. He's been on the show before. His core business and life's passion, let's call it that, is a business called Fluent in Three Months, which is an amazing resource. A blog, a dynamic YouTube channel, a book, and online course resources about language learning. Benny never really considered himself like a serious academic linguist, He's simply a guy that went out there and learned a ton of languages. It's pretty cool to follow him on his journey in those early days, and now it's become something of a behemoth. The business gets 2 million unique visitors a month. How incredible is that? And part of the reason the business has been so successful is that Benny's passion for language and teaching others has allowed him to live in so many different countries. And we'll get into how he ended up after all that in New York City. So on paper, on the surface, you look, Benny has had this incredibly successful business, has traveled and lived an amazing life, but that didn't prevent the trajectory of what happened to him starting a few years back. 
One thing a lot of people will tell you for your business to grow really well is to say yes to as many things as you can. And I really embrace that. And I kind of regret it in a way because an, an opportunity which was very good came along, and that was to write four academic books that were actually published by the same publisher as Charles Darwin's Theory of Evolution. So huge opportunity to really make my mark on the, the language learning world. Unfortunately, I agreed to write four books at the same time, and I completely overestimated my ability to do this. I don't have an academic background. When I wrote my first book, Fluent in Three Months, that was way easier in comparison because that, that was more along the lines of self-help. This is just me just saying, this is how I did it. And it didn't really require that much quality control other than very basic edits to it. Whereas the academic books had to fit a very specific standard. And because of this, I ended up for the peak of this experience, I was working 20 hour days and I completely burned myself out of the, the candle at both ends and did this for two years. And on top of that, I was working very intimately with my ex at the time. She was the quality control and she's a perfectionist. She was very direct and straight with me about all the things I was doing incorrectly from an academic perspective. And this wore down on me. Like I could take this in a short term, but over one and a half years, I just felt more and more miserable about being a failure because I would just get these constant reminders that no matter how hard I work, I'm not doing good enough. To this day, I still, I can't work a full day anymore because I used to be able to really pump out content and, you know, work from first thing in the morning to the, the end of the day in little bursts, maybe once every few months. I can't even do that anymore because this wore me out so much. So burnout is something people who have had any extended period of overworking can relate. If somebody's done a PhD intensively or they've had to take on two jobs at once or something overwhelming in their life has happened, that it's just too much. It's too much to sustain. It's something that we, in short bursts, can handle and then we can recover from. But in long bursts, it has long-term effects on your mental health. That's really interesting. The long-term thing is not something I had really thought much about before. And that was way back in uh, 2015, thereabouts, that I was doing this. So we're talking six years that I'm still not fully recovered from that experience because it was a year and a half, really, that's a crater in your life that you can't just bounce back from, especially if other things are happening. And that's that's the thing with people who want to bounce back from a difficult time in their life. That's made a lot more difficult if there are other things that are then also dragging you down in parallel. It's a tough situation, and it's the kind of thing that you have to start appreciating long-term, gradual improvements. You can't hack your mental health. You can find more efficient ways to make better progress, but you can't solve that problem overnight. And until I embraced that, I was kind of shooting myself in the foot. When we go back to you know that initial decision to take on that amount of work, you've always had a huge engine. And I think that's obviously was a part of this decision to take on the four books you were already doing really well back then too. You were on a wonderful trajectory. This was sort of almost like tangentially. It was different from the core business. 
when you look back at that decision, what was it all about? Like, why take on this academic path when you had this internet marketing path that was working out really well? Since I started Fluent in three months, it's never really been about the business success for me. In retrospect, if I had just focused on the internet marketing aspect of it, my life would have been a lot less stressful and my company would have continued to grow because that 2 million unique views, that's been sustained over the last few years. It could have potentially gone bigger. My YouTube channel could have gone way, way bigger. I stopped uploading content there. My main motivation for doing all of this is I really do want to inspire people to learn other languages, given the lessons that I've learned as somebody who also felt, I don't have the language gene. I'm never going to be able to do this. But just inspiring people to learn other languages, that's my goal. And the internet is a great way to do that. But of course, it's not the only way. And my first book was a fantastic idea. It was a huge success and it was the right amount of uh, pushing myself. And that book got into bookshops around the world and people who may not have discovered me through the internet discovered me through bookshops. So I wanted to extend that a little bit further into the academic world. I felt like if I could break in there, I could inspire even more people. And I did. Did you finish the books? I did. I finished the books. They got published. They didn't like sell out or anything because like part of the process, as many people know, as they've who publish books that, you know, publishers, they don't really try that hard to help your book be successful. It's very frustrating to publish a book and it's more on you as the author, especially if you have an online audience to help that book do well. And by the time the books came out, I was absolutely tapped out. I had nothing left to give, so I couldn't promote the books. I couldn't do interviews. I couldn't do like a, an extensive book tour or anything like that. I'm impressed that you could even finish in the first place. It was hard, and we, we kept extending the, the deadline. It was a bit of the sunk cost fallacy in a way, because we, both me and my ex, who were working on it simultaneously, we had put in these extraordinary long hours, and we wanted to have something to show for it. I think it would have been like extremely disheartening if after all that we just said, you know what, never mind. And I'm proud of these books. They're very, very good quality. But to be absolutely honest, if I had gone through that process again, I would have been a lot more comfortable with the books just being okay and me having my mental health. Today's show is sponsored by AppSumo, the number one digital marketplace for entrepreneurs. That's right. They're a marketplace and a great way to get your name in front of 1 million plus entrepreneurs, founders, affiliate marketers, and small businesses. You can sell your software, ebook, PDF, template library, online course, WP plugin, extension, or even event tickets. And get this, in classic AppSumo fashion, they are giving away their entire 1 million Black Friday marketing budget to their creators. If you list your product on AppSumo between September 15th and November 17th, the first 400 offers to go live will receive $1,000. The next 2,000 to list their product will get 250, and everyone who lists gets entered to be one of the 10 lucky winners 
of $10,000. How cool is that? I definitely listed my book on the AppSumo marketplace. So check it out and list your product at AppSumo.com slash TMBA. And many thanks to AppSumo for sponsoring the show. Benny, let's talk about the second topic that I, I guess comprise your your dark cloud, personal dark cloud. And I really appreciate you sharing it because we all can relate to this stuff. The second um, element you bring up is one of debt. So you have a very strong front end to the business. You could increase your sales probably at any time. You have levers everywhere in your business. You were under monetized a lot of years. You could have you know, at any moment switched on and doubled some income for a month or whatever. You found yourself in a position around this time in 2018 where you were in increasing amounts of personal debt. And I'm wondering, um, this is a situation so many of us find ourselves in, even those who have successful businesses. What you say is absolutely true. Like, even with 2 million uniques a month, and I was getting that back in 2015, 2016, even with that kind of traffic, I had no advertisements whatsoever on my website. Now I do. And I'm glad I did that because it's it's given me a much safer buffer these days. But for a long time, like I said, this has never been about a business for me. It's been about the goal of inspiring other people. Despite that, my business has done great. Now, the problem is these books, the book project that I took on was a year and a half out of my life where the only thing I was working on were these four books. So that meant everything that actually made me money because these books, they didn't make me money. It was a very small contract. An academic contract was significantly less money than that one book I had written before. That was a great advance that I got for that book. I got a really bad advance for these four books. So it was a, a bad investment in terms of finances. And I knew that. I knew that going in. But it also meant for a year and a half, I was not working on my business. I was not making videos. I wasn't doing any promotions. I, I left it to my team to do any like sales for Black Friday or anything like that. And I was barely contributing. So my business did suffer in that period of time and it got into a bit of debt. Then on top of that, I was making a lot of very bad personal fi financial decisions. Having moved to New York, that in itself is not necessarily a bad financial decision, but I moved to New York at the exact same time as I started writing these books. So I was not actually out doing anything in New York. I was paying three and a half grand a month to be stuck inside of a shoebox <laughs> on Sixth Avenue with sirens constantly going outside my window. You know, it really would have been so much smarter if I just moved into a cabin in the woods to write these books. I moved to New York in some form of optimism. I thought, you know, I'll have eight hour work days and I'll be out networking the entire time. I didn't do that. So moving to New York was a waste of money for me because I was paying for the privilege of being in New York. I was paying New York City, state and federal taxes to my company and personal. We didn't end up eating out that much. We, we ended up getting a lot of deliveries. So just bleeding money in so many different ways. And as life got more stressful, you start to think, you know, I deserve these things. So I deserve to buy myself this giant brand new piece of crap electronics that I'm not even going to use because I'm stressed out and this will make me happy. And then, of course, I was having a destination wedding with my ex, which was extraordinarily expensive. So all of this added up and I ended up getting myself into 
80 grand of personal debt. This is separate to the company got into six figure debt. I got into 80 grand debt. Most of that was credit card debt. So constantly huge amounts of interest. And of course, I was at the stage where if you're in that much debt, your credit score is obliterated. I couldn't get a loan that wasn't just going to be as bad as the the credit card interest. So I was stuck in this situation for a very long time. Now, fortunately, the company bounced back relatively quickly because our email list is over 300,000 people. When we would throw big discounts at them and mention it on the blog and everything, we made, at one stage, we made 150 grand in that single like five-day Black Friday period. As the 100% owner, I could just grab most of that and pay off all my debts. So I actually got out of debt while I was in New York. But the problem is I took all the money away from the company. The The company had no money to pay for upcoming taxes. We weren't saving for our taxes. It had no money for other like annual expenses like uh, convert kits since we're on them with 300,000. That's it's a big expense every year to have that many people on our list. We weren't saving for that. So it was like constantly a battle of I was logging into chase.com every single day to kind of move money between different things and sometimes moving my own personal money back to the company and the company money back to me. It was extremely stressful that I was doing this constantly and like the company would keep doing well again and then I would drain all of its finances. I was kind of like a leech on my own company. So the company never reached any stability because I was always draining from it and I kept needing to drain from it because I was maintaining this lifestyle that was keeping me in debt. Eventually, like years after all of this, I have moved out of the New York area. In Austin, of course, I'm glad I made that move. The, for a long time, I've, I avoided it because I thought if I stick in New York long enough and I've recovered, I can get these networking benefits that I came here for, but I never really reached that point. So I had to accept, you know, I'm just not going to meet this goal. I can get that networking in another place. If I leave New York, I can get a fresh start elsewhere. And since I've left New York, my financial situation has completely changed. I worked on getting all my personal expenses down, the business expenses down. And I'm proud to say that just this very month, September, I am finally at net value positive again. It took me a long time to get here. I was still holding on to credit card debt up to April. And I finally got my credit card paid down enough that I had a better credit score to get a consolidation loan. I'm in a safe place now and I have lots of money in the bank and I am saving for future expenses that was applied to the businesses as well. And I shared the financial burden with my team for a long time. I didn't really talk about it with them. I've established a consistent salary that I know is going to help me over time to pay down my, my debts and to maintain financial stability while still having a certain level of quality in my life and being able to travel and so on. For those listening, and we're talking about business accounting here in, in some sense, obviously, like the emotions are probably way more important, but the business accounting element is you, you should be taking your distributions above salary based on your, a net profit figure that an accountant puts on a 
balance sheet, not, you know, eyeballing it because, because then like you mentioned, as your business scales, especially it's, it gets really complicated to know where you're at. It's super complicated. I've had to accept that it's too big a job for me, you know, that I needed to share the financial burden with my team members. And we have monthly financial check-ins. Now we did not do that. It was really, like you said, it was eyeballing for several years. To maintain consistency, you have to have a plan of action. You have to be saving money. You have to be making sure that you're not draining on your company, that now my team knows that Benny's expenses are this exact salary. That's not going to change with any time in the future. The thing I wanted to ask you about this was, if you could go back and be the angel on your shoulder, in terms of financial management for entrepreneurs who are up and coming, what are some mindsets or tactics or ways to think about debt and financial management that might have made this a little simpler in retrospect? There's a lot of stuff that I I should have done differently. One is very simply, if people familiarize themselves with the concepts used by systems like You Need a Budget, YNAB, I really like their system and they, they have YouTube videos that give you tutorials that you need to start thinking that every dollar has a job. And that was completely missing in my mindset, that when we made, you know, a big amount of money in Black Friday, all I thought was lots of money. I can use this for whatever I want. I'll I'll go on a big trip, a big business trip at the start of the year. So in a structured way where every dollar has a job, then you decide ahead of time, if we do well in Black Friday, the first 20 grand are going to, you know, salary increases, if that's what you want it to be. The next 10 grand is going to saved money for upcoming trips of the next year. So really strategically deciding ahead of time where every dollar is going to go. That's, that's one thing. And I do that with my personal finances as well. Like, as an example, I'm going to be in Mexico. I'm going to be in Mexico for three weeks. I'll be there for the DC event, and then I just want to explore Mexico for a couple of weeks after that. And what I would have done previously is I would have just said, you know, okay, I'll go to Mexico. I'll just put it all in the credit card and I'll pay it off as I go and figure it out later. But when I knew we were going to Mexico, I started a new category in my savings budget just called Mexico. And every month I put several hundreds of dollars into that category. But I have this money set aside ahead of time for this Mexico trip. And I always overestimate if everything goes well, then that buffer gets transferred into the next big trip category. I was just thinking this will go on the credit card. I'll figure it out. You know, love it. I love even just that the way you say every dollar has a job, essentially it has an image for me of not squandering something that's so powerful. You know, for me, like I pay myself in these chunks throughout the year. And so what that helps me do is like be motivated to sit down, actually allocate that money to these different pieces of the pie and essentially lock myself away from most of it. (laughs) You have to, you really do have to. So another thing that I do now is whenever my salary comes in, I allocate all of the things that I have to pay first. So I wasn't doing this before and rent was extremely stressful for me while I was living in New York because that that was like I would push it to its absolute limit 
of the last day I could pay. And then I would plan for, they told me I'd pay like a $50 fine per day that I was overdue. And I would plan to pay that $50 because I knew I wasn't going to get the money until a week late or something. So all of that stuff was like just me not allocating the money correctly. And it's why now I have, I still have a debt. It'll be paid off by April because I'm doing it consistently. I have enough money in the bank to pay that debt off right now. And previous Benny would not have been in this situation. He would have seen, I have money. Let's just get rid of this debt. I'll be less stressed out. But that money has, like I said, every penny has a job. That money's been set aside for Mexico. That money's been set aside for going home to my family in Christmas. It's been set aside for expenses I know I have upcoming, car rentals I know I'm going to be doing. All of that, it's been put aside. It's been put aside for emergencies. My coffee machine just broke the other day. That's an emergency. <laughs> it's an emer- that, That's like upon the biggest emergencies, you know? <laughs> and I have different bank accounts. That's another very helpful thing that it was stressing me out that I didn't really have in mind like I kind of knew my upcoming expenses, but I had everything in the one checking account. So it was very hard to keep track of. Now I have one checking account that is all recurring expenses. So the, as soon as I get my salary, I, it gets automatically pumped to my rent. I have a personal trainer every month. What I typically have for electricity bills, all those things, it gets pumped in immediately. And then the rest can be for you know, the unpredictable amounts if I'm ordering delivery food and stuff like that. I'm going to make a personal overreach here. Take it however you want. But the next category is getting divorced. You know, obviously this is one of the, you tell me how it felt, but one of the things that's sort of a theme that's coming up is it seems like you guys had different values. It's interesting. What I've noticed in a pattern is like money, it actually does solve a lot of problems. It's a very effective problem solver. And a lot of times people throw money at terminal problems, especially in relationships. You know, if you're essentially spending in a different value system that can provide a, a lot of stress. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, throwing money at the problem, like we were stressed out, we were fighting a lot of the time. So I figured, do you know what, if we have the perfect wedding, that'll solve all our problems. And the perfect wedding is expensive. And I would say yes to everything that that she wanted. And that obviously did not solve my problems. So, like, ultimately, I I don't want to talk bad about her because, to be honest, she would have a lot more bad things to say about me. I was a big pain (laughs) in the ass, you know? But like you said, we we had different values and I thought I could work around that and I was wrong. And I'm glad that at least there was no infidelity, there was no abuse, and it was a mutual decision. But it was still extremely difficult for me because I come from a different culture where like divorce is just way less common in Ireland. So when I got married, the concept that this marriage could end was just an absolute impossibility. It was just not. I know a lot of people go into into marriages thinking, you know, this is going to last forever. But it wasn't even in my mind that divorce was in the realm of a possibility for me. So it was very difficult for me to accept that. And it was heartbreaking to watch this love. Because I truly did, even though we we were very bad matches for each other, we did love each other. And it was very heartbreaking to see that dissipate 
and die over the last couple of years of the relationship. It did not help to be dealing with everything else I was at once. And on top of that, because I was a nomadic for a very long time, 17 years of straight travels that I, I had, which meant that like I'd be in countries for such short periods that I didn't really ever have a girlfriend. So she was my first true relationship. So I had, on top of the divorce, you know, the first love breakup that just mounted to making it even more difficult to get over. And yeah, it was it was a very difficult experience, the whole thing. Were you even working at this time? I was trying to work and I, I released a new product that I was kind of building up and then I had to do videos the week after Lauren and I made that decision. And you can tell when you look at these videos that the soul had completely been drained from my body. I was trying to force a smile and enthusiasm on my videos and it was clear that it just wasn't working. And And it pains me to say that because I like making videos. I like being enthusiastic about the topics I talk about, but there's a stage where that's just not possible to do. I'm very, very lucky that the main reason that my company survived through all of this is because I had a team. I built up a team in those early years that would relieve me of my workload. The team, they stuck through, they cared about the bottom line. Because I didn't make this about this business needs to be monetized, it's about making money. And the, the true goal is to inspire language learners. That meant that through very difficult times, I like they would all send me messages. I wouldn't reply to their messages because I'd be so overwhelmed and they would need me to reply for things to happen. But they still stuck through because they cared about the the goal of the company and they ran the company and they took initiative to create blog posts and so on. And it's the only reason that we survived is because of that team. So that meant that I was able to go through these very difficult personal years. And even though I didn't plan it and I didn't tell people, hey guys, I'm having the worst couple of years of my life. I'm going to step back for two years. I didn't say that, you know, but it ended up being something along those lines. And it was kind of understood that my availability is greatly reduced. So we're going to make do. And the team handled that very, very well. And I'm so glad they did. Let me take a moment to talk about our recruiting services at Dynamite Jobs. If you're thinking about hiring, our team can help you be more strategic. If you're in the middle of a time-consuming candidate campaign, we can take it off your plate. And if your HR team is having difficulty delivering the right team members, we can be their support. See strategy, positioning, promotion, filtering, interviewing, and assessing. They're all a tremendous amount of very important work, even for organizations with seasoned HR teams. But our expert team does it every day, all day. And it's not just our expertise you'll be accessing. We run one of the largest remote job boards and databases of qualified candidates on the web. Why not work directly with a team who hires hundreds of A players annually for businesses just like yours? So if you run a remote-first company, we can help you grow faster and smarter. And the best part is we charge just one simple flat fee for every hire. And with Dynamite Jobs Recruiting, your results are guaranteed. To learn more about how we can help you grow, head on over to dynamitejobs.com and click on the Hire With Us link. Your career is built out of 
you know, looking at these big, complicated, mysterious topics and then jumping in and figuring it out and then sharing your story. So I'd like you to do a mini version of that with depression. What is depression in your experience? Well, I don't think I could ever do that justice because I know a lot of people suffer a very different form of of depression. Like they have intense anxiety in their life and they have just suffered it for the longest time that even if everything's going well, it's this thing that drains the force from them. The depression that I went through is a little different because I am an upbeat person. I am a an optimist by nature. Just dealing with everything I was dealing with, the debilitating debt, the burnout, the divorce, the heartbreak that was leading up to that, and you know, putting on weight and feeling like my company could have thrived so much better, all this disappointment. It was all mounting up at the same time, and that dragged me down. So these external factors are what got me to a very dark place. What's dark mean? Well, before New York, I had periods in my life where I was down and I was alone. You know, sometimes my travels were difficult. And I would think to myself in those times, you know, maybe I'm depressed. And I definitely wasn't. I like the word that I've seen shared a lot this year, languishing. I think for something like the pandemic, if you're languishing, it means you're you're missing that spark and you're not where you should be. You're not happy with your life, but it's still not depression. Depression is where you have a complete lack of hope. The color has been drained from the universe. You look at things that you used to care about before and you can't possibly care about them anymore. And you get reminded every day why you should be depressed because here's all the reasons the world sucks. Here's all the reasons you suck. And this is a complete hopelessness that you can't get yourself out of. And somebody coming along and saying, you know, be a man and stand up and just smile yourself out of this. It, it does not work. You need to treat it as a mental health issue. You need to take it very seriously. You need to talk to people. It can feel very lonely. And like, even when I was married with a partner, it was the loneliest period in my life because I I couldn't really verbalize how I was feeling. Whereas now I live alone and I feel way less isolated because I open up to people. When I share things, I hear people say, do you know what? I've gone through that myself. And that's the thing with depression. You can especially feel like you are the only person in the world who is dealing with this thing because you just see yourself as this island. Nobody else cares about you. Things were going well for me for so many years, and now it's just a snowball effect of everything that can possibly go wrong is going wrong, and that's just what my life is now. My life is just a big pile of shit that's constantly getting shittier. There's another element to it, too, because like you're talking on the one hand about you know, you're a public figure. I think... Part of me is tempted to think entrepreneurs are just so damn special and that this is more likely to happen to entrepreneurs simply because they've put themselves into high stress situations where they are facing, 
know, very existential threats regularly. And a lot of people depend on them to be the buck stops person for those existential threats. And because of all that, it can be tempting to hide the fact when you're starting to get negative returns. Because one of the big themes of this story for me, Benny, we pulled it out immediately was like, how cool was it that your team had your back during this really difficult time? Yeah, absolutely. And there is that disconnect, especially because like one of the hardest things for me to accept that I was going through clinical depression, I got diagnosed with it. I had to take medication, which it was its own problem I had to deal with that I'm glad I'm not dealing with anymore. But it was very hard for me to accept that because I am an optimist. I am a positive person. And this conflicts with this definition I have of myself because I can't be someone who's dealing with clinical depression because it's not on brand. So like it's not, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't work on my social media posts, but it's also not on brand for me personally. That was a big struggle for me. But at the same time, I don't actually position myself as an expert. And I'm very lucky that part of the the way I've I've shared my journey with people over the years has been, I am not the guy who tells you how to learn languages. This is how I learned languages. And along the way, I messed up, I made mistakes, and here's how I worked through these mistakes. But in your personal life, you are the expert implicitly saying, I'm going to pay you next week. So there's that too. Right. That's kind of where the, I guess the conflict does end up coming in. Part of the thing is people are all vulnerable. Like you were saying before, you have this idea that, you know, entrepreneurs especially have to to work hard. I don't necessarily think that we're special as entrepreneurs. I think a lot of people go through a lot of these struggles, like, you know, having to work two jobs to pay for their family or whatever. It's very common, these struggles that we go through. And I found that whenever I have discussions with entrepreneurs and then turn around and have the the same discussion with somebody with a blue collar job, there's a lot you can relate to with that. But in terms of like, I had to provide for my team, that was a very difficult thing because there is a certain authority there that if the team imagines I am sailing through life, then that's easier. Whereas if the CEO is not doing well, then, you know, maybe my future in this company is not so secure. And that was a very difficult thing for me to juggle because I I like to reassure those working at the company. And I'm glad I found ways that I would balance out the fact that, yes, I'm going through a rough period and I'm not able to give to the company so much. So to solve that problem, I'm going to give you a lot more responsibilities. I know you've been looking to make more decisions and to be more autonomous. And that balanced out things a lot because when they had no autonomy and everything had to go through me, that was very stressful for them. So it sounds like a win-win in retrospect that... Oh, absolutely. You know, there's there's a lot, a lot of terrible things that have happened to me in these last few years, but there are silver linings. And... You know, the debt that I went through was terrible, but at least now I have enough good financial management that if something really bad ever happens and my company doesn't have any earnings for several months, I'll actually be prepared for that, whereas I wasn't prepared for it before. And I feel like with the relationship I have with my my teammates, because I was forced to 
find a way to get out of this bottleneck quickly, I gave them responsibilities that maybe I would have hesitated for longer to give them. Yeah. There are advantages, but like on a personal level, if you share that you are struggling, like you see this with many people who have some kind of social media presence, that vulnerability is actually very beneficial in a lot of ways for connecting with people. If you've gone through similar struggles, maybe they can go through these struggles as well. Yeah, and I guarantee you they're all there. I mean, I think especially because of the background of the pandemic and how how terrible it's been for so many people, essentially. <laughs> At even the basic level, it's been agitating and isolating for folks that are doing well or who are doing okay, but now they're agitated into a state of increased difficulty. Certainly happening for me, for example, when I don't talk about it on the show very much because it's for the reasons I think most people don't talk about their negative feelings because you compare them with other people's negative feelings and you can't win that battle because of course somebody has it worse than you. I had big life plans, you know, that were based on a non pandemic world and <laughs> was taken away from me. And so, the agitation at minimum, forced reflection. So a lot of us have been having to restock because there is this thing where it's like when the money's rolling, the good times are good. Next plane ticket's just a couple weeks away. In this lifestyle, the next deal is just a month away or whatever, that you never really have to reckon with your current stock. You can always sort of move on as an entrepreneur. So I think there's there's a little bit of that too that the pandemic brought to the forefront for a lot of us. Yeah, and it's I, I consider myself lucky that I went through the worst of my years before this pandemic because like I've been on a recovery path in the last two years during the pandemic. I'm a very outgoing person and I've kind of needed some time by myself to recover from all these difficult years. But at the same time, I also recognize I'm very, very lucky because the pandemic did not impact my company. Some of the people who check my stuff out are learning a language because they, they want to travel somewhere. So we would have lost them. But then we talk so much about learning online and getting like language lessons with a teacher via Zoom. We've been talking about that for, for ages anyway, that we got a big burst of new people from there. So we've remained pretty consistent. I think it's very, very important, as cheesy as it sounds, to count your blessings and like having gone through the worst, hopefully the worst years I will ever experience in my life, I can still look back now and be appreciative that I I had this successful company and that meant that I could get out of debt. Like 80 grand debt would take some people decades to get out of, but I got out of it in a short number of years. And a divorce can be like the, like it was already heartbreaking, but I had an amicable divorce. And not a lot of people can say that. So there's a, a lot of things I can look back on and think, I'm really lucky. And if I can take that moving forward, I can appreciate the blessings that I have. And even in a pandemic, like a lot of things about this pandemic suck, I still try to count my blessings and think, I'm very lucky I live in a place where I can get the vaccine easily, where I can be out with people who I can trust, who... I'm not going to get infected by them and that my business is still doing well and I can get back into travels. It is important to get out of this mindset of my life is the worst and let me compete with you 
because you're so lucky. Your your business does better than mine. You have more money than me. This is why so many people have the likes of gratitude journals to start off their day by thinking, you know, what am I grateful for? It's just such a basic concept that helps us to feel better about ourselves that you look at your life and you think there are actually a lot of things going well for me right now. Can I ask you just two location questions? I'm curious at the end because, Benny, there's a few people on the planet who have more location expertise to you. It's kind of a twofold question. You recently moved from New York to Austin, which was a common flow during COVID for, I think, some obvious reasons. I'm wondering if you could add some texture to what is it about Austin that's attractive for you and maybe how has your lifestyle changed? Yeah, so like it definitely wasn't an original idea. I was going to stay in New York longer, but the pandemic really emphasized like I'm not going to get anything out of New York for this next year. I knew the pandemic was not going to be just a couple of months. And for me, as someone creative, I want to be somewhere where there are other creatives there, other entrepreneurs. There are only certain places that you can really go to find that kind of thing at least in the States, you know, I could go to LA, but that would have a lot of the same problems like taxes and such. On top of that, I'd kind of done things to the max for too long. And I feel like moving from New York to Los Angeles would still be overdoing it. I needed to kind of simplify my life a little bit because it would have been overcomplicated. And Austin is a nice Goldilocks city. It's not too big, not too small. And it's got the right pace of life. I've been here several times even in my industry, it has a very unique place because Austin has one of the largest communities of deaf people in the United States. And it's actually a great place for me to get practice in American Sign Language. And I've gone on dates with girls just using ASL. It's a great extra thing to add to your Tinder bio <laughs> if you live in Austin, in case you're curious. So that that's like, for me, a personal extra benefit. But I also noticed the the wave of people coming here, the way bit more beneficial taxes. I had lived here in the past and really liked it. Uh, there are lots of problems with Texas, of course, but I do like the, at least their pace of life, and I needed that. After New York's time is money, and like you know, every second has to be compressed into maximum benefit. I like that people are more laid back here. As a lot of us are fantasizing and about returning to more nomadic life and you know getting on our first few airplanes to foreign countries and things, you know at your age, at your level of business, like what's the right way to nomad? Maybe in terms of costs and amount of time in different locations, how do you like to nomad while you run your business? That's a good question because i'm I'm trying to to figure out what that's going to look like for me now because in the short term, presuming the world is at a certain level of stability by next summer, I want to get back into nomad life. I'll still have my base in Austin for maybe another year or two, but I want to be mostly traveling. So what it looks like for me now that I'm, I'll be turning 40 next summer is I will have a certain level of comfort that I didn't have in my 20s. In my 20s, for a big chunk, for a good seven or eight years, uh, I started traveling in 2003, and back then, 1,000 euro a month was more than enough for me. That would cover all my flights, all my restaurants, all my expenses, all my accommodation. 1,000 euro a month. That's probably not realistic for me now at the 
Like, I'm not going to stay in youth hostels and such. I think what it looks like for me personally is I want to get back to a place where I can be spending about three months in a country. It tends to be the tourist visa limit and staying in one place. I know the ideal is you're backpacking around the country, but I want to pick one city and actually make friends and have a social network and get to really know people and get to really know that one city. And I think that's a simplified version of, I'm going to get to know the whole country. It's a lot better if you leave the country with actual friends that may stick with you for your life. And I did have that experience for a very long stretch of time. I'd like to return to that. And I think I could. I think in my 40s, I would still have the energy to potentially move every few months. Probably won't by the time I'm in my 50s. So I really want to take advantage of that. I still have that spark of I'd love to to see these countries I've never gone to, learn their languages, make new friends, date girls from those countries, just all these new experiences. I still have that drive and I want to bank on that while I still can. It's amazing, Benny. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Enormous shout out to Benny Lewis for coming by the show and sharing his story. It's not hard to relate to things getting difficult. In fact, one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about being a business owner, strangely enough, is that you know I do have like a dark streak and I expect things to get difficult as we get older. Life throws more challenges at you and you need to have a strong, strong base. And part of that's financial, but part of it's time too, to take time to focus on issues outside of the business. And that's really tough when you have, say, a high-stress, high-earning career. It's harder to get away from that. Whereas if you're a business owner and you have a strong team, like Benny talked about today, you can do that stuff. So that's pretty, pretty cool. We'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, and experiences on this one. As always, you know where to find us. My email is dan at tropicalmba.com. And producer Jane is at jane at tropicalmba.com. That's all. We'll be back. As always, next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.